and that made you all long for Ken to be here, <laughs> me trying to lead so, song. So we'll pray even more for the whole family's recovery from uh, whatever bug got them. John chapter 13. John 13. We've been just on the first Sunday of every month working our way through the upper room discourse. If Jesus Christ gave a sermon on the very first uh, Lord's Supper, then as we take the Lord's Supper, it's good for us to examine His words and the comfort that He gave. Uh, We are embarking right now on the rest of this chapter... where he has sat at the table with them, he has washed their feet, he has brought them to the table, he has explained the reason for his washing of their feet. And from verse 18 on to the end of the chapter, he is dealing with trauma. What trauma is he dealing with? Well, he's got bad news, and then more bad news, and then more bad news, For his disciples. The first piece of bad news is that among them is someone who is apostatized, someone who is betraying him. And he doesn't reveal specifically the identity. He says, One of you all around this time and in this context will betray me. And we're going to see them react in a second to that news. And that's troubling to us, right? That among God's people, there are those that are not truly God's people. And then he gives more trauma. He says, I'm going away. I'm going to leave you. That's hard. (laughs) The absence of Christ. And then he has even more trauma to it. You all are going to fail me tonight. Every single one of you. So we're not as spiritual as we want to think. That's hard for us to to wrap our mind around. So the, the buzzwords of the treatment community is trauma informed care. And Jesus is offering trauma-informed care to his people. Last month, we just dealt with verse 18. And I want, if the Lord allows us, to get to verse 18 and, or 19 and 20 today. But let's read where we left off. Verse 18. I speak not of you all. What does he mean, I speak not of you all? He, he means that... Uh, He's referring to the one among them that's unclean. He is referring back to what he was saying earlier to Peter as he washed Peter's feet. He says, you are clean, but not all of you. He says, I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen. He knows his elect. Don't get scared of election. That's a Bible word. It's election. It's right there. That's what's the, the word election is what's 
translated as that word chosen. He says, I know the ones I've chosen. But that the scripture may be fulfilled. There's one, he that eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. He identifies with the suffering of his people. We look back at the psalm that this came from. It wasn't necessarily a messianic psalm. It was David in his suffering. David is a sinner. David in his sickness. Being betrayed. And that was a type of Christ. And a type, by the way, of us. Has anybody ever here... I know, this is a rhetorical question. Has anybody ever been betrayed? Yes. All of us. He identifies with his people. He identifies with his elect. And we talked about him as the divine elector here. He's the one that chooses his people. And he chooses to identify with them in their suffering. There are four men in the fire, right? Did not I put three, but I see four. And they're free, walking around in the fire. (laughs) He... He identifies with us in our suffering. And that's really where we left off. And we talked a little bit about the problem of evil and why does God allow evil? Why does God allow suffering? Why does God allow you to go through the things that you go through? Well, we can't really always answer that, the why. But we can say he identifies with us and he's there with us. And that's more than the people who don't have Christ can ever have, is the presence of Christ in their suffering. Good trauma-informed care so far, right? Now let's pick up in verse 19, where we learn, we've understood apostasy a little bit in verse 18, and uh, specifically that of Judas... Christ moves on to comfort and assurance there. He wishes to give in the revelation of this apostasy. We saw him as divine elector, and now look, let's look at him as a prophet in verse 19 and 20. Now I tell you before it come. So he's, going to tell, he's telling us about his own betrayal before it comes to pass. That. That word that is introducing what we would call a purpose clause. He is giving purpose for him telling us beforehand. Now I tell you before it come that when it is come to pass, you may believe that I am, and of course the King James you're reading has got that little word he in italics. The verse actually just ends by saying that you may believe that I am. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receives whomsoever I send, receives me, and he that receives me receives him that sent me. So, this is Jesus as a prophet. He is telling what's going to happen. And he would not have his, he's telling his, what is going to happen because he doesn't want his people to be troubled. And all through this, consider everything that he's saying in verse, in chapter 13 here. I'm going, I, one of you is a betrayer. I'm going away. You all are going to fail me tonight. 
you all are going to fail and fall. You're not as spiritual as... And then he turns around the very in the first verse of chapter 14 and says, Let not your heart be troubled. That's his purpose, ultimately, by dealing with all this bad news, all this trauma. He doesn't want you to be troubled. And he didn't want them to be troubled. Specifically right now about this matter of apostasy. He uses it rather as a means to strengthen their faith and prepare them for their ministry where the mystery of apostasy will continue to be seen. It was true with David the type, Christ the archetype, and those of us that preach Christ, this troubling thing of betrayal. So consider Christ the role of a prophet. He says, now I tell you before it come. So he's a prophet. He's prophet, priest, and king, right? And here he is the prophet. And an example of prophetic utterance is given here. Uh, he first says, I tell you before. That's foretelling. He is foretelling the future. He is saying what will be. And then he is the foreteller. He begins to give give shape to it, where he says, Amen, Amen, I say, I am speaking to you. And he begins to interpret it all for us. So he is both prophet as a foreteller and foreteller in this instant. And he is the greatest of prophets. In fact, Malachi chapter 3 verse 1 tells us he is the angel, he is the, uh, the messenger of the covenant. He is the chief declarer of the gospel, and all of us declare the gospel after him. So he is not only made known the words of God here, he's the full revelation of God himself. He is the son of man in the sense of being king in Daniel chapter 7. He's the son of man in the sense of being a recipient of grace on our behalf. Psalm 8, what is man or what is the son of man that thou, you are mindful of him, God. But he is also the son of man in the sense that he is the prophet. What was the very, very term uh, it was used over and over of the prophet Ezekiel. O son of man, declare this. O son of man, declare that. That is a title of a prophet as well. He is the son of man because he is God's prophet here speaking. His role as a prophet is here highlighted. And we're going to see three, three points this morning, or this afternoon rather, or in the next 20 minutes or so, his knowledge, his purpose, and his comfort. His knowledge, his purpose, and his comfort. Let's look at each and every one of these. It's always good. I don't know why I always have three points, but I do. <laughs> it just happens that way. And I don't have a poem at the end, so that's good. Uh, so the prophet knows and speaks beforehand. He's showing himself to be a true prophet. What does he say? He says, I'm telling you this before it happens. By the way, he's, he knows uh, the, the, he, he is a true prophet because the, the Bible says, Deuteronomy 18, if a man comes and says, this is going to happen and it doesn't come to pass, what is he? He's a false prophet. Jesus Christ was not a false prophet. There was one sitting there that, 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 was, um, that was going to betray. And everything he says here, all these trauma, traumatic events are going to happen to, the, to his disciples sitting there. And he leads people, he's a true prophet because he leads people to the worship of God. There, by the way, there are people that do signs and miracles. But then they turn around and say, oh, but you need to trust 
in something other than God. <laughs> what does that make them in Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 3? False prophets. But he is leading, he's a true prophet because he speaks what is true and what will come to pass, and he is leading to the true worship of God. He, that makes him a true prophet of God. Here, Christ is seen to be the truth that he will shortly proclaim himself to be. The first three verses of this chapter, when going, uh, going back several months, we saw in the beginning of chapter 13, his great knowledge of what, was, of what this moment was. He knew those that were with him. He knew that Judas was going to betray them. He knew all things were being finished. He had this perfect knowledge that was given to him. And now we're focusing a little bit more on that knowledge. That knowledge is here expressed. He knows and he says what will be. He knows what was in Judas. He knows what's in all men. He knows you, and he knows me, and he has told us what is in man. It's time and time again we saw in the gospel this great divine knowledge that Christ had. When the, when the, when the Pharisees attacked him, it says he knew their thoughts. He knew their reasonings. He knew their traps. He knew when the Pharisees were going about to kill him, and he slipped right out of their grasp. Uh, he told them, even in this context, how many times as you read through the gospel do you reach this aspect where he's again telling them, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be betrayed, I am going to be handed over to the Jews who are going to hand me over to Rome, and I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to be buried, I'm going to be raised again the third day. That is him in his prophetic office saying what will be. He was one that knew. And he knew with certainty everything he's going to say is coming to pass, right, as he's saying it. Uh, he, he said it when it comes to pass. He says, why? He gives the purpose clause. He said that you may believe not one jot or one tittle was going to fail of all his words. He'll return to, he, he will return to this foretelling again. Where he is going to, where he is going to, uh, in 1429, he says, I'm telling you this before before it happens, uh, uh, chapter 16, verse 4, in this same sermon. I'm telling you this now, that when it happens, he is preparing them. The entirety of the gospel is navigated by his own prophecies of what was going to happen, even to the very end. He says, hereafter you shall see the Son of Man, the prophet. God's prophet is speaking, and he's speaking with a purpose, a purpose of comfort. He says, now I tell you before it come, that when it come, when it comes to pass, you may believe that I am he. There's deep purpose here for which Christ speaks. There's deep, he's ministering to those he chose. And he wants them to be unshaken in their faith. And he gives this little tidbit, I'm telling you before it happened. The Messiah has always been on a mission of comfort. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people. That's how Isaiah 40 begins as it lays out the messianic office of our Christ. The betrayal of, the, of Christ in the mouth of God's prophet is turned into a source of believing. Not a, 
Why is all this bad? Why are, why are bad people doing bad things? Isn't that a reason for us not to believe? Here he makes it a reason for us to believe. In fact, believing to the uttermost about him. What, are, what is he directing his faith towards? He says, now I tell you before it comes to pass, that when it comes to pass, you may believe that I am. Now, we've talked about this before, right? Moses, the burning bush. Who shall I say sent you me? What did God say? I am sent you. Who did Moses hear from in the burning bush? Jehovah. Well, Yahweh. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob said, when he says, who are you? He says, I am that I am. I am unpredicated. We have these predicated I am statements, which are very rich, by the way, of Jesus Christ. I am the door. I am, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. Those are predicated. And he's predicating a whole lot, unfathomable truths about Christ in the predicated I am statements of Christ. Here he is, I am unpredicated. He is the very God of very God. Christ gets the attention off them and even the worst that is among them. There is a betrayer among you and I'm telling you about it because I want you to see me for who I am. I am the object of your faith. Christ was pointing to himself. He's a prophet pointing to the, to the subject of his prophecy. I want you to believe that I am. He is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And to believe this highest truth. He, notice how a focus on Christ is the greatest comfort that Christ himself was able to give. Uh, you all are going through a hard time, no doubt, right? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but you're all going through a hard time, I, I, Right? The greatest comfort I can give you is the greatest comfort Christ gave to the disciples sitting in the upper room. Him. Believe that He is unpredicated. This, everything else going on, Judas, and, their, and we're going to get into their failure but he wants them to believe that he is the I am. And that's important. This is the heart of Christianity. It's not what you believe about yourself. Uh, there, there, there are people who are going around teaching the law of attraction as if it was Christianity, as if you have the power to speak good things into your own life. It's wrong. You don't need to believe in your own power or in your own faith. You need to believe in Him. Amen? That's, that's, 
He's the focus. He is the greatest of all. He said, this is the heart of our Christian faith. It's not God wants to give you a great day today. God may not want to give you prosperity. God may be more glorified giving you tribulations. And you may be able to glorify Him greater there. I don't understand when we we preach this prosperity gospel. Can you take it to the Christians that are losing their heads in the Middle East and say, God wants you to have a good day today. He wants you to have two cars in a garage. You can't. You can't take that preaching into the world where real Christian life is being lived. What you can take into that world is this. Christ is I am. He is everything. That's that's the message. What did he say to the Pharisees? John chapter 8, three times. John chapter 8 alone gives us three instances of this unpredicated I am statements of Christ. So this is about five chapters before. But he said to the Pharisees, I said... John 8, 24, I said therefore to you, again, this great prophetic voice of Christ, I say therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins, for if you believe not that I am, you're going to die in your sins. This is an important truth. I'm afraid people are missing it. I'm afraid some people that I love are missing it. There's nothing comforting about Jesus being a good teacher. There's nothing comforting about him being a created being. But there is something comforting about the God of all taking on my experience and then taking on my sin and my shame and then dying on a cross. You want to see the love of God expressed to the world? Look at the cross. You don't see God punishing a creature. You see God as a creature taking all the wrath of sin upon himself. And if you don't believe that, you'll die in your sins. Because there is no comfort outside of that message. This is the Christian message. That God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. We cannot trust in... What what, what do we see here? I'm telling you this before it happened, that you may believe on me. He's focusing on the faith. And every once in a while, we need to recenter ourselves on what this is really all about. Because if you're looking at who's stabbing you in the back or stabbing someone else in the back, if you're looking at all the trauma about you, you're going to lose faith if you can't focus upon Christ. Uh, You can't trust in yourselves. By the way, he's going to get to the end of the chapter to let them know that. You can't trust in yourself. (laughs) Because you all are going to scatter like like roaches when the lights turn on. (laughs) Uh, You all are going to fail. You can't trust in yourselves. You can't trust in... The arm of flesh is going to fail you every single time. Um, It just is. But he's the same. He's the unchanging God. 
He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? Because He is the I Am. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. The same. He doesn't change. He is the same God that Abraham believed in, and He's the same God that the disciples believed in, and He's the same God today. Still giving grace, still helping. So, the ground may seem unsteady to you, because it is. <laughs> Everything you step on is unsteady until you get to Him. And that's why he speaks. He says, I want you to believe that I am. If you trust in yourself, if you trust in the arm of flesh, if you trust, if you trust in people. By the way, if you put enough faith in me, I'll let you down. <laughs> I promise you I will. <laughs> but if you put enough faith in him, he will never let you down. The arm of flesh will fail you. But Jesus is the same yesterday and today, today and forever. He says, one, that one that knows, he's the Prince of Peace, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. He is both the prophet and the subject of the prophecy. He's the suffering one and the comforter, the sacrifice and the altar upon which the sacrifice is sanctified. He is their all in all, and that's what he's pointing them to. Uh, the pulpit commentary said this, It is more than words will bear to make this ego a me. Ego, ego a me. That's I am here. Which is basically, you know what I, ego a me is? It's just saying, I am. I, I am. <laughs> it's just repeatedly saying the same truth, but, not, but he's not giving anything predicated about it. It is more than the words will bear to make the ego a me, the equivalent of the divine claim to the equality with Jehovah. But this text is not a promise of continual prevision of events, but a startling proof that in this case, our Lord had completely fathomed the mind of Judas, was communicative of what he saw there to the rest of the disciples, so that when the tragedy should be consummated, this peculiar, peculiarity, instead of shaking their faith in him, will prove that he has taken no, was not taken by surprise and throughout this great career was who he said he was. Who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? That's what's important. It was drawing near to the time when he would be lifted up on the cross and he would, according to John 8, 28, a, third, a second time, they would know that he was the I Am. Turn, you can turn, if you will, to John 8, 28, or not, or not but John 8, just period, and we know... There, the truth of who he is. John eight fifty eight. 
the Jews, he said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, in verse 56. And Abraham was glad to see me. And of course, the Pharisees said, you're not even 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? And Jesus says, verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, ego me. I am. Unpredicated. He is who he is. He is that great I am. It is the eternal Son of God, the very God of Abraham, that was sitting there with him breaking bread, telling him about Judas, telling him about their own failings, and saying, I've told you all this, I'm telling you all this before it happens. Not that you can be troubled, but that you believe that I am who I am. That's the heart and soul of what we're all about still today. This is the very truth of the Lord bringing salvation. And by the way, where do we get these words? If you were to have a Greek Septuagint with you, which you don't, I think, I mean, you all may, who who knows. You would find these words, especially to those that are hearing them, you would find these words to be very familiar because they came right out of the Old Testament. If you will, turn real quick. I don't think we have time really to deal with with, uh, verse 20. So this may be a good stopping place. Isaiah chapter 43. They will sound familiar to us just reading them in English. Because it seems to be the exact thing that Christ was telling his disciples in the upper room. Isaiah 43, verse 10. You are my witnesses, says Yahweh. That's that's the name of God right there, right? Yahweh is speaking. That's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. You are my witnesses, says Yahweh, and my servant whom I have chosen that ye may know and believe and understand that I am. That's almost the exact wording Christ is using where he says, I told you this beforehand, before it come, that you may believe that I am. And here Jehovah says, you are my witnesses, my servants that I chose, that you may know and believe And understand that I am. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. I have declared and have saved and have shewed when there was no strange God among you. Therefore ye are my witnesses, says the Lord, 
that I am. Yea, before the day was, I am. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. I will work, and who shall let it? Here, Jesus Christ uses the same words as he sat there. He says, I told you before this happened, so you may know and believe that I am. Don't ever let anyone tell you that Christ was something less. Because this is the focus of our faith. He is, as Thomas would later say a few days after this, my Lord and my God. And his, and his role as a prophet made it certain to the apostles that day that it was. So and beneath all the trauma and all everything that was going on and this world shaking around them, Jesus wanted them to know that he is who he is. And if we can focus on who he is, we can draw the comfort through all the trauma of the world out of that. I hope you receive something. We're going to go ahead and celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning.